what's up everybody welcome to the hot shot wake up on today's show we are going to kind of recap and cover canada's record wildfire season I invited on Doug Cote, who is a wildfire risk management specialist up in Canada, a former Yukon smoke jumper, and currently focuses on prescribed burning, firing operations, working with indigenous cultures up in Canada to help them with burn plans, and has a significant amount of experience with aerial ignitions and building boxes and burning them off. There's a lot of folks out on the East Coast this year who got a dose of wildfire smoke that they weren't necessarily used to, and a lot of questions came up, hey, what's happening up in Canada with these fires? In this conversation, we talk about these fires that went on 40-mile runs in just a day and how they went about trying to manage these things, conversations about the boreal forest in the wilderness of northern Canada and how those ecosystems react to wildfire once it's on the landscape. And as Doug says, it's kind of an on and off switch. Once it's on, it goes. And you have to kind of determine how you're going to manage these things. A lot of the times you'll have fires that are a million acres up in the northern wilderness of Canada with minimal resources, if any. And it's well known that these things are going to burn until the snow flies. We talk about the unprecedented amount of line of duty deaths that took place up in Canada and how the Canadians can learn from that and move forward after these tragedies took place this year. We talk about strategies and tactics compared to Canada and the United States working with hotshot crews and the teams that went up there this year and the continuation of this resource share that will probably increase going into the future. It's a fantastic conversation. I thank Doug for coming on, and I hope that you enjoy it. I have traveled this year over all the United States, through the Alleghenies, the White Mountains, and the Catskills, the Rockies and the Bitterroot Mountains, Cascades, the Coast Range, and the Sierras. Hey, thanks for coming on, Doug. I appreciate the time that you're setting aside to have this conversation about Canada's wildfire season and and the record-setting year that took place up there and and maybe a brief conversation about what's kind of expected next year. Can you kind of give folks your background and where are you at right now? You you way up north in, in the wilderness of Canada right now? Yeah, I'm up in Yukon territory, actually, and that's... um kind of sandwiched between NWT and Alaska. We're just, uh, we're just east of Alaska and like to refer to ourselves as Alaska little, little, little brother. But yeah, I, uh, I started in wildland fire in, in 95 up here with the Yukon smoke jumpers. And that, and that was, uh, that was a pretty amazing summer. We were a real kind of ragtag bunch of jumpers, like jumping out of an old DC three for 10 bucks an hour, you know? And, yeah. um, that, that was a contract crew actually. And, uh, they, they canceled that contract after the summer of 95 and, uh, much to our chagrin. And, um, you know, so then I moved on to hell attack and, you know, did, did the hell attack thing for, you know, a number of years, you know, crew member and crew leader. And then, uh, up here, once you kind of get out of the crew leader kind of, uh, function, you, you, you transition into kind of like an officer role as a protection officer or area protection officer. Okay. Um, and that's managing crews and training crews and, uh, you know, responding, you know, to larger fires and filling team roles on larger fires. Um, you know, so I did that up until, uh, 08 or nine and then, uh, moved up to, uh, what they call an emergency response officer. You know, we were kind of going all risk at the time and, you know, responding more to floods and, other kinds of incidents other than fire. And, and so they kind of needed a few, you know, officers to kind of organize that and put that program together and carry it forward. And so I did that and, uh, remained in that position for a good 10 years or so. And right at the same time of starting that position, I, I went out and did a, I was getting pretty restless in general and, and went out and did a, a master's degree in, in, uh, in emergency management, you know, and that, so that was the, 
pretty great experience too. You know, you had a cohort of like pretty dialed people, you know, with some really amazing, you know, field experience and they came from all over the world and uh, some great leaders. And, um, you know, just, it was, uh, it was an honor to be in, in their presence and to study and, and work with them for a couple of years. And, uh, my thesis coming out of that was, um, was looking at, you know, alternatives to evacuations in, in my own community. Okay. Um, yeah. And, and you know, so I, I wanted to look at, um, you know, people's perceptions, you know, of fire behavior and their understandings of fire behavior and, 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 you know, their kind of receptions on, on the impacts that would, uh, you know, affect them and their properties and, and, um, you know, and then just kind of discussed some alternatives to evacuations and, and, you know, brought forward, you know, the Australian, you know, stay and defend model. And, uh, it was super interesting, Tim, cause, uh, you know, everybody had like, you know, fairly good understanding of fire behavior. A lot of Yukoners are pretty fire savvy. You know, they're smoking the skies every year and, and yeah. uh, you know, and, 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 and most folks, um, actually already, you know, had plans to stay and defend their own properties, you know, and, um, you know, they admittedly, you know, their, their, their plans are pretty misguided and, and their tactics and strategies would have been kind of hazardous to themselves and the responders, but it was cool to kind of tease that out, you know, and, and, and discover that and, and then try to, uh, you know, realign, you know, their expectations and, and their, you know, their kind of uh, perceptions there. So, um, I did that, uh, that was back at yeah, 2012, 13 and, um, and just kind of continued in that emergency, uh, response officer role and until recently there. And, and now I'm, uh, now I'm working at the main fire center in Yukon uh, as a uh, wildfire risk management specialist, they call it. Um, and I, I have a bunch of different functions again, you know, during the operational season, you know, I have functions on teams and, uh, and also uh, spend time on the Yukon duty desk. You know, when I'm not operational, I'm, I'm working with first nation communities and uh, local communities to develop, uh, you know, work with their CWVPs and develop prescribed burns and, and cultural burns. And, um, and that's pretty much my sole focus right now is just kind of, you know, the you know, prescribed burning and, and, uh, and just kind of taking care of the ignition program for, for our agency. And, uh, so yeah, and I guess it was 2010 or so became uh, nationally certified as an aerial ignition specialist. Um, and uh, so I'm, I've been in that box now for <laughs> quite a while, and, and uh, it's basically solely what I do now during the summers, as opposed to you know other uh, operational roles on teams, right? But, um, yeah, so that that's kind of it in in a nutshell as far as my background and experience goes. Well, it sounds like the 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 firing quals in your position probably got a lot of hours this year, and I'm actually kind of interested with the evacuation studies as well because up in Canada this year there was a tremendous amount of people evacuated and obviously as it is down in the United States and other places as well people are hesitant to evacuate a lot of the time when when there's wildfire around especially in the rural communities where people are used to seeing the smoke and things like that I'd like to to jump into that as well but let's kind of just start with with the season you know first off was the folks in the fire management world up there, were you expecting a monster year this year or did this catch a lot of folks off guard? Um, yeah, no, we weren't, we weren't certainly expecting a monster year at all. Um, you know, as far as being caught off guard, I don't know if, you know, if that's it necessarily, but I mean, we kind of, you know, got our, you know, boots blown off us, right? Like, um, yeah. you know, we burned, burnt over 18 million hectares, you know, and if you do that math, it, it's, uh, you know, over 43 million acres. Yep. Um, you know, that, that's, uh, you know, I was record setting for us. Uh, mobilizations were at an all time high. Uh, um, yeah, like we moved like 6,000 resources internationally and 2000 domestically. And, and, you know, these numbers might, in comparison to the states um but for us it was you know it was pretty full-on it was a very big deal um you know and something that um 
you know, we, you know, we haven't even come close to, you know, we've had some big years and in the last few seasons, you know, mostly, mostly all last, you know, 17 and 18 were really big years. And, um, but yeah, this summer we were on a PL five for 120 days and yeah, it's our incredible. previous high was 65 days. Yeah. Yeah, man, it's incredible. And, um, you know, our previous record was 65 days at PL five. That was back in 17. And, um, so no, you know, um, I don't, I don't know about didn't see it coming, but I, I, I don't think we thought coming at the scope and scale that, uh, you know, that it all, that it all came in and rarely, rarely do we have, does the country burn from East to West, right? Like, uh, you know, often, you know, if the West is really busy, the East will be slower and there's lots of resources to draw on from out there and, and vice versa. You know, if the if the east is, is busy, that the west tends to be a bit slower, and we get lots of deployments out east. But um, this year, man, it was coast to coast to coast. You know, and and uh, yeah, it, it was uh, it, it it tapped us big time. And um, you know, everything from crews to food to helicopters, tankers, teams, whatever. You know, it was extremely challenging trying to draw those resources in and secure those resources and you know big big thanks to to the americans for coming to help and all the hotshot crews that did tours up here like you know that makes a huge difference you know to, to know that those resources are out there and we can call on them and but yeah no it was uh it was pretty outrageous it was, it was quite the rodeo you know when can you kind of explain to folks because when the, it kind of made a big splash down here in the United States, once the smoke come, started coming across the, the eastern uh, coast of the United States, and people were like, oh, my gosh, what is this? It's smoky in Boston. What's going on? And you yeah. know, we had some conversations on the podcast before, and I, I was trying to explain to people that, hey, like these things aren't fought like they are in the east coast of the United States or even some places in the western United States. We're talking about, like you said, you know, 18 million plus hectares, which is 42 million plus acres. And you kind of have to, you know, pick and choose your battles up there. And like you were saying, with the resource draw across all the provinces and the territories, can you kind of talk about the tactics that you folks have to do up there because of, of, of all of those things that, that we've talked about? Yeah. So yeah, no, that's great. Um, you know, our, Generally, like our tactics in the north, you know, don't don't necessarily change from summer to summer, right? And um, you know, similar to Alaska, we have you know we have a zonation policy where um, you know the, the the zones around communities or critical infrastructure, your your response lessens the further away you get from those values, right? Um, you know, some you know a large chunk of our territory and NWT um is is simply wilderness you know and it's classified as wilderness fires and and we just we'll map those um you know we'll we'll just kind of keep an eye on them you know observe them you know for fire behavior and you know send send you know greener crews out to watch that show and to you know map the stuff and and you know get intel for us but but there's a lot of fires that, that we just let buck right we don't we don't uh put any resources on the ground or any response into them yep. whatsoever other than monitoring. Kind of like a, um, how Alaska you know operates. Yeah, exactly, man. Well, yeah, we actually kind of like uh, stole Alaska's donation from Yukon and it looks very similar. And we just looked at what they were doing and, and how well it was working for them and how smart it was. And we were like, you know, we need to Yukonize that for ourselves. And we did. And, um, but you know, like that's it, it. It makes sense, right? I mean, some of these fires are are so remote. You know, uh, manning them up uh, would be super challenging. Logistically, the support supporting them would be challenging, and and uh, you know, just from an ecological standpoint, it makes no sense to to fight those fires. You know, and you know, I mentioned you know when I started, you know, with the jumpers, like we we jump these fires, man, in in the middle of nowhere, and you're like you know, there probably hasn't been a human in the history of this planet walk on this piece of ground that we're walking on. Yeah. Why are we even here? You know, like, what are we, what are we doing here? And, you know, that was super fun, you know, jumping out of the plane, but, but man, you know, I don't see the risk reward here at all. 
Um, so, you know, when, so that's kind of like standard practice most summers, you know, and, and, uh, the Southern provinces, BC, Alberta, Ontario and stuff, they have, they have more kind of full response zones, more full action zones. And, um, you know, so on, on a summer like this, when, when, uh, resources are, you know, at a critical shortage, they, they certainly had to pivot and, and adjust their, their strategies that way. And, and, um, you know, it's simply again, like scope and scale, right? Like you, you know, that Donnie Creek fire, I don't, you know, I'm sure you're aware of that fire there in, yep. in Northeast BC, you know, the, you know, the scale of that thing is unbelievable. Right. And, and to, to try to man something like that up is, is just, you know, it's crazy. Right. And so, um, you know, we have, you know, really large wilderness spaces up here. We have less, you know, infrastructure, less communities in the way, you know, less, less infrastructure in the way of our fires. And, and so we, we have that luxury of letting a lot of them buck, but, um, there was a, there was a ton of fires this summer for sure that, you know, we're under-resourced and, and we're super challenging to, to fight and to corral, you know, simply because of that, right. Just that, that critical lack of resources that, you know, just like, you know, when you guys are busting, right. Resources get thin and, um, you know, we had, we had firefighters from, I think 12 or 14 different countries this summer. You know, we had, when that smoke hit New York and Boston, you know, all of a sudden we had firefighters from like South Korea. <laughs> yeah. Everyone and, showed and, up and once Portugal. it was on the news. Exactly, man. And I remember we were communicating a little bit back then, back and forth, um, you know, just about that whole smoke issue and, yeah, and, uh, Again, you know, people's perceptions of these fires, you know, um, they're just, the, the scale is massive and, and you're not, you're not putting those out and, and, uh, you know, winter's, winter's going to put them out and, you know, sometimes the safest and smartest option is, is just to kind of monitor that stuff. And, you know, we regularly do modified response as well. You know, we'll, we'll kind of attack a flank or, or try to steer it into a lake or a river um, you know, kind of do those kind of strategies uh, on different fires too. So, um, yeah, you know, and all the Alaskans will know and, and anybody who's fought fire up North, you know, in the Boreal, man, it's on or off, right. And when it's on your, your, uh, your IA success percentage, like drops dramatically. And, and uh, when, when, when everything kind of aligns, like, you know, you're, you're best off, looking far afield, you know, and just getting people out of the way, you know? Um, and that was the case this summer and it, and it, it started crazy early. Um, you know, I, I was deployed to NWT on May 16th, which is pretty early for deployment in the North, North of 60 for sure. Um, we had crews getting pumped out days after they were done boot camp, you know, and, um, and we just had one officer actually come back like, last week you know so he was the last the last hanging out in alberta there but um our crews had lots of roles outside and and uh as did all canadian crews right we they bounced all over the place and uh and again like you know the help from from down south there was 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 fantastic and um lucky for us you know you guys were slow you know i i don't know you know where we would have got to had had you folks been busy as well right yeah, and I've had those conversations. It's because we didn't even, if I remember correctly, we didn't even hit a PL five this year, which is crazy. Um, least amount of yeah. acres since nineteen ninety eight, which again, that's a wild stat for how busy you guys were just yeah. north of us, and and we were dead slow. Um, so if yeah, if we were running and gunning, and we weren't able to send you, you know, dozens of of hotshot crews and others, it's. But yeah, I know we're playing 2020 and it's hindsight, but it makes you wonder what, yeah. what that looks like. And and I guess that could kind of be a segue into the next question is, you know, in your opinion or in the opinions of fire managers up there in Canada, is it known that that you folks need to expand the workforce and, and work on, on, on having retention and things like that to kind of bolster the ranks? Or is it the new... Uh, you know, mindset that, Hey, we can just pull on a global scale and, and people will show up to Canada and fight fire. What's the conversation up there when it comes to, to workforce? Yeah. You know, I, I think, 
the conversation's real similar to uh, down south there, Tim. Like, you know, the national conversations we have uh, are always, you know, there's always a lot to talk about, you know, the retention issues, uh, recruitment issues, um, being short-staffed, uh, you know, losing that, that long-time line, you know, operational experience uh, for one reason or another. Um, yeah, so it, it's a concern of, uh, you know, across the country of, of all agencies that, um, you know, we're we're kind of falling behind that way and we're not filling the gaps fast enough. Um, you know, and I think uh, you and Kelly, the other episode we're discussing, you know, the cost of training a firefighter and then, you know, how much that costs to, to lose them after they, they've been trained and they have experience. And I don't know what kind of value you put on that experience, but, um, you know, we've done the same exercise up here and, and, you know, figured out, you know, how much it costs to, you know, get a crew member to, you know, type one national standard and get a crew leader to that same type one national, you know, IAIC standard. Uh, and it's significant, man. It, it's a significant amount of money and, and time that, you know, you invest in these people. Um, you know, and, and uh, I, I don't think it's so much a, a pay scale issue up here necessarily. Uh, each each province and territory has their own, you know, kind of pay scale. And um, it, it, it's, it's simply a, a retainment, you know, kind of issue, I think, more than anything. Yeah. Um, and a recruitment issue. I, I don't know if there's like just less people that want to do this job nowadays or, um, but it, it's a, it, you know, as you, as you know, and all your listeners know, it's, it's a challenging gig. You know, if, if you're a, uh, you're a seasonal, you know, worker and you don't have that security in the off season and, um, you know, other employers are offering you that security or, or some kind of transition out of your summer into your winter. And, um, you know, I was lucky enough, like, you know, I'd, I'd go ski patrolling in the winter. Right. And, 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 you know, we're lucky up here in Canada too. We have this thing called POGI, you know, or unemployment insurance. Right. So a seasonal firefighter could, you know, can finish their, their summer, you know, and go to school or whatever, um, or, or, you know, work or ski or travel and collect unemployment insurance, you know, and that, and that's kind of one of our, our best retainment, uh, uh, you know, kind of, um, uh, yeah, it's like a bargain. It, it's like, like a bargain. Yeah, a bargaining chip. You say, "Hey, if you put in this labor and work for us for what we're offering, you still have the ability to go ski and travel and, and things like that." And that's super attractive for a lot of people, especially yeah. that that younger group of folks. And I've had that conversation with down in the states. Like that's the the agencies are slowly going away from that in the United States, and they're trying to make everybody permanent and everybody's stuck in the office in the winter time. And I've had, I couldn't tell you how many people who have reached out and, and who've been in for that five to eight years who were like, I do this because I get, you know, I can take two months to go ski and, and decompress and have my free time. And, and that's slowly going exactly. away. So that's nice to still have yeah. up North there. But, you know, my word of warning is that that is a luxury and, and people in the States are slowly starting to realize that, hey, we, that that was a big part of retention was allowing people to live their lives after a, a really busy fire season. Yeah, no, exactly, man. And like, you know, I've had some stints that have been year round and, and, you know, your season winds up and then you end up in a cubicle or whatever. And, uh, you know, I'm fortunate enough this late in my career to be back uh, kind of in a seasonal gig, you know, and uh, it, it's the best thing for me at this point in my career, guaranteed, because, um, you know, going back to an office or a cubicle or, or work that isn't as meaningful as the work you're doing in the summer is, is really challenging, you know. And um, But, yeah, you know, like, and I know it's a discussion down there as well. Like, um, I was fortunate enough to be down in Boise this spring at the Northwest Compact meetings and, and every everybody you know across the table talked about you know uh, unstaffed engines. You know, uh, I think you mentioned uh, you know Idaho with with uh, with a you know whole raft of brand new firefighters. Yep. Um, Alberta was the same way, right? A lot of initial attack crews, you know, with with second year crew leaders, right? And um, you know that's just that's just the reality we're facing these days, and you know, one of the upsides of a summer like this is like a lot of people learned a lot of stuff quickly, you know, and, and, um, 
you know, literally kind of had trial by fire, right? And yeah, second year crew crew lead is gonna have to learn on the job, and when it's this busy, that's a that's a lot of information and and operational experience coming at you all at once. Oh, absolutely, man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'd been reporting on the line of duty deaths that had taken place up in Canada this year. I know it's drastically more than what has been in the past. Can you kind of talk on what's been going on up there, the conversation up in Canada about these fatalities that took place? Are there systems in place up in Canada like our lessons learned down here and these after-action reports that come out, you know, organizations like NIFSI that present these things and provide the information after things like this happen? And what's kind of the sense of what went down up there and how you folks are going to learn from this and move forward in the future. We had a tour of NIFSI, you know, and you know, I've been to NIFSI on deployments before, but I, I, you know, never really like, you know, sat there as, you know, part of a delegation, you know, and um, we had uh, presentations from, um, I guess you'd be the president or CEO of uh, the Lessons Learned Center. Um, and as well as the NWCG and, and, and man, again, like super impressive, these people, like they've had really impressive careers, really meaningful work they're doing now. And they've parlayed their career into, into this, like, you know, meaningful, uh, you know, almost, um, you know, dedication to, to, to the, you know, firefighters that, that are out there now. Right. And, and they're, they're turning their, their, their operational experience, their, their leadership skills into really positive, you know, vehicles for, for change and, and, you know, the grassroots movement, the wildfire grassroots movement. Um, there's so many cool things happening, you know, stateside that way that we really lack here in Canada. And, um, and I think because it's because we haven't had some of the similar issues you guys have had, but, um, you know, it's common, I think. And, and, uh, you know, if you need to see, um, you know, a lot of those kind of organizations have a more of an international scope as well, you know, as, as opposed to trying to, you know, reinvent the wheel and do a Canadian version of the NWCG or a Canadian version of lessons learned or whatever. Right. Um, it, it'd be really good to kind of see those kind of things expand and cover, cover us off, you know, cause we, we don't, none of us have any idea about what went down this summer as far as the fatalities go, um, you know, you hear rumors from, from buds and different agencies and, and, and chatter between duty officers, you know, on national calls. And, um, you know, there's other, you know, kind of whispers and rumors about other incidents that went down and close calls and near misses. And, um, but it's not captured anywhere, you know, and we don't, we don't get that rapid lessons learned or those rapid reports out. Right. And, um, you know, that, that's on us and that's, that's kind of hazardous for us. Right. Like, you know, we don't hear about a line of duty death until we see it in the news and, 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 and that's, and you're getting the, you know, the, the media's version of what happened and that doesn't do anything to make us safer, you know, um, or to make us more prepared or, um, or doesn't do anything it doesn't help us learn from it at all. Right. Um, yeah, we're just kind of lagging behind that way. And, 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 you know, we're, we're, you know, we're not used to line of duty deaths up here, right? We don't, we rarely, rarely have them. And like, um, you know, there might've been one in Quebec like four or five years ago that was, you know, kind of a medical distress situation. And before that it was like 94 repeller in Alberta. Right. And like, you know, so this summer kind of really rocked us that way. And, and, um, I think it opened a lot of people's eyes maybe. And, um, yeah, it's, a you know, deeply tragic for sure. And, but it, you know, even more tragic if we're not learning from that, from those lessons and from those incidents, right. And, um, honoring them that way. You know what I mean? 100%. One of the more valuable things that we have down in the States are these lessons learned, reports that come out and I talk about them on the show and I think it's a great way to learn from these incidents. And like you said, it's, it was abnormal to see these line of duty deaths at this rate up in Canada. And, and, and hopefully you folks up there can find some closure and learn from these events. 
there was a lot of chatter, um, and I know it made you know headline news up in Canada, and and I tried to try to highlight it down here. When it came to these fires pushing into, you know, obviously burning in these very rural areas, but also burning in in some of these communities, and you yourself having, you know, an education and 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 you know experience in collecting data on evacuations and and different ways to do it, and can you stand and defend? You know, there was a lot of media attention on that this year up in Canada. Can you kind of talk about? You know, your your thoughts on, you know, can people stand and defend? Is 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 there a right time and place just to get people out of there? And uh, ultimately, how did that how did that end up um, all? You know, what was the conclusion of all the tension that was up there when it came to evacuating these folks? Yeah, well, um, you know, full disclosure, I wasn't on, you know, any of those incidents and, and you know, but I did you know, spend some time in, in an evacuated community this summer in NWT. Like, uh, they were evacuating as I was arriving with, with my little team there as well. Um, but yeah, you know, I think there's, I think there's, you know, lots of great, um, examples out there, you know, that other agencies are, are, are practicing, you know, both in the States and Australia and Europe. And, um, I think, you know, if you're, following uh you know fire smart or fire wise practices for your property and your structure then you have i believe you have some pretty good uh potential and chances to to you know save your own property if you're if you're physically fit and you're mentally fit um if you have a a bit of you know some basic training from from a home agency and um you know, you've got good clearance and, and your, and your structure's hardened. Uh, you got that defensible space and, you know, if, if you crunch the numbers and if, if you, you know, you've got the Canadian forest fire danger rating system and, and the red book and you crunch those numbers, you know, those numbers kind of tell that story, you know, that, um, the, there is that potential. I think, uh, I think Australia has, uh, you know, is, has been a great leader on in this issue, you know, and they talk about, uh, you know, leaving early. And, and I think that's, that's the most important part is that people need to leave early before it becomes a, you know, a gong show out there. And, and, um, and, uh, you know, they need to prepare their properties, obviously. Um, they need to have a plan and, uh, you know, so Australia, you know, they, they talk about leaving early. They, they also have, you know, some hardened community center centers where, you know, maybe older folks or vulnerable folks can, can, can go to and, and, uh, even just hang out there, shelter there on a high, you know, hazard day, you know, even before there is a fire in the area, uh, you know, some people are encouraged to just go, you know, spend some time there just in case, you know, something popped off that day. Right. Yep. Um, so, you know, I, I, I just, I feel like there's, we, we all know there's not enough engines to go to every driveway and, and we all know that, you know, these fires are dynamic and, and, and they move around and, and, uh, we're, we're never going to be able to, you know, save every structure. And, and we also know that, you know, being evacuated is, is extremely inconvenient and, and, uh, you know, it, it uh, it, it's really disruptive. It could be traumatic for folks. And, and um, and, and, you know, people are invested in their properties, they're invested in their livelihoods and, and, and to, you know, to be told and, uh, you know, you got to get out now. And, and, you know, that's, that might be a hard pill to swallow depending on the situation. You know, I've been on, you know, large fires up here where, you know, folks are evacuated for months, man. And, and, and there's no necessarily direct threat, you know, to their, to their structures or their community or their street. But you know that potential is there, and and it's just easier to get everybody out of the way in one fell swoop, right? And um, sometimes I feel like we could we could be more creative that way. We could put a little more work in working with the community, and you know pre-fire and, and, and during fire, and then of course post-fire. Um, but pre-fire, you know, we we need to I think you know be out in the communities and. Uh, you know, looking at people's buildings, looking at their properties and, and, and in really encouraging that, that home ignition zone, you know, focus. Right. And, and, uh, um, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I just think, you know, just with, with everything, 
in our field, we need to start rethinking stuff and, and start thinking outside of the box a little bit. Um, you know, find some alternatives. There's no silver bullet, obviously. And, the, and I don't think we need to run around and say, Hey, everybody's just going to stay and defend from now on. Um, but again, if you're capable and, and you've got the gear and, um, you know, I, I, I feel like, um, it, it's a good alternative or it's a safe alternative. You know, a lot of the reading I did, uh, you know, showed that the majority of civilian fatalities in wildfires is happens during evacuations. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not people being burned over in their homes. It's, it's people being burned over in their cars. So, you know, there's some lessons learned to be learned there. And, and, uh, I think, you know, just we as a community need to, like I say, like kind of like, you know, expand our, our uh, approaches that way and, 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 and work tighter with the communities that are going to be impacted by fire. And, um, you know, any anything you could do pre-fire is, is going to benefit you down the road, right? And, so. Yeah, and the, yeah, that's exactly it. Any sort of like pre-fire mitigation work you can do on your property, that buys you a lot. It also buys you more with with authorities and and firefighters and things like that. When when we do show up and we look at this property that is, looks fantastic, and you're like, oh my gosh, this thing's gonna stand yeah. stand on its own. Okay, nice to meet you guys. So your property looks great. We got to move to your neighbors now. And it's also understandable for the people who don't want to leave because a lot of these rural communities, your property is also your business. And, and, and it's kind of that crossover of, you know, I own all this land and I actually, you know, I run a gravel pit or I have a timber business or, or, or you know, I have a machine Absolutely. shop on my property. So just not, you're just, you're not just evacuating your home, you're leaving your business and now you're out of business for a month. So it's also very understandable yeah. that these people are going to be be upset, and and it is kind of trying to find that that happy medium between, you know, what the officials are going to ask of you to do and what you're willing to do, and and but then also a little bit of discretion of hey, this person prop this property looks great, and and it is that balance, and I also agree that it, it is important to think outside of the box and and look for different options as we continue to move forward in in these types of situations and and. You know, I see both sides, but at the same time, it's 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 still a complex issue. It, no, it's super complex, and and uh, you know, and I I see the other side too. You know, where if, where you know a lot of people talk about how you know folks are staying behind, and it's it's putting responders you know safety at risk and yep. putting them in danger, and and I get that, I've seen that. Um, you know, and it and it, it yeah, it, it's hard work pre-fire to to. to to have like a, you know, dedicated workforce to reach out to communities and develop those skill sets in the communities. But, um, you know, again, I think, you know, working with the locals, relying on the local knowledge, you know, understanding their skill sets and, and, uh, you know, I think just, you know, again, having closer relationships with the communities that you're trying to protect, you know, and, and can go a long, long way. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of easy for me to say we have a small population up here. We have a lot of small communities that our our local fire managers and crews are, are are tied in with those communities pretty strongly. So, you know, we're able to do that kind of stuff. But you know, in bigger jurisdictions, it's way more challenging. And I, you know, I get that for sure. And um, you know, and like you mentioned, like what we saw in Canada this summer, you know, there's certainly some tension around there. And um. But, but if I felt and I had the impression, like, you know, towards the end of the summer there, like, you know, uh, some of our agencies were, were pivoting pretty good there and, and kind of working more closely with the communities and actually, you know, having them uh, engaged, you know, in, in suppression activities and, and uh, you know, contributing to the, you know, the fight in general. And, um, you know, so I think we all learned some really good lessons this summer, right? And, and again, like, as crazy as it was, there's, you know, there's always a silver lining. There's always lessons to be learned. And, and I, and, and, you know, I, I know, um, you know, at a national level, those, those, those lessons are, are being discussed already, you know, and, and, um, yeah, there's, there's lots to, lots to build on up here. That's for sure. And that's the, the, the route that I think is the proper route is, is, once you run into these sort of things like tension and and how decisions being made on the operator level transition over to to the residents and the local community is is to take that knowledge and then learn from it and say hey how can we 
how can we make this better? And, and it is good. I think it's great to have those agencies and the civilians, if you can, I know that there, whenever it comes to government and, and people, but you know, in the community, there's always going to be, there's always going to be someone who do- doesn't agree with what's going on. It's just the way humans are and it's the way yeah. it works, but to learn from that and, and, and move forward and, and build that trust of like, Hey, if we're going to ask you to leave, we mean it. Like we need you to leave. And like you said, if, if you get the pre-fire work done and leave early, if that is an option, it does save a bunch of headache and danger because the closer you get to, to that fire moving into the community or around the community, that's when you start having roads closed and you start having a bunch of large trucks on the roads and Hey, you can't cross this bridge anymore. And and you run into issues. So if, if the opportunity is there to, to leave early and like you said, in Australia, they have these community centers that people can, can go to and, and that helps alleviate some of that stress and, and pressure on the system. One of the questions I have is out in California and, and kind of now in Washington and Oregon, these Western states, there's been a massive influx of insurance companies sending equipment to to homes and, and, and you have this whole another division of, of fire response and suppression. Is Canada seeing that? Do you guys, are, are you seeing insurance companies send stuff out there or maybe in BC you are or down in the more populated areas of Alberta? You know, is that a thing or is, or are folks, if it comes to defending their property, they're, they're kind of on their own when it comes to that. And you're not seeing these sort of companies spring up and, and send engines out to, to different properties. Yeah, no, man, that's not a thing. And, um, I first started reading about that a few years ago in California. I think that's wild. Um, I don't know how you would possibly coordinate, you know, your, your tactics and, um, your operations on the ground there with a, a whole bunch of, you know, insurance company crews running around and, you know, I'm sure they're all good firefighters, obviously, but, um, no, that's a wild thing. And, it, and it's not, it's not a thing in Canada at all. And, um, you know, it, it, it's only been in the last, you know, you know, we've had, you know, large interface fires in, in the past, but I, I think it's only been in like, you know, maybe the last 10 years where, you know, wildfire, uh, induced uh, insurance claims are are even you know hitting the radar you know for the yeah. insurance companies right like like hail is 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 the biggest uh insurance claim uh cause in, in in canada right now you know and and then i think flooding would be second um but no you know i, I think that i don't know if we'll see that up here um you know we certainly do have contracts you know, firefighting crews, you know, as you guys do in the States. And, um, but those, you know, they fall under the incident management team or they fall under the, you know, the local, you know, authority, um, you know, in, in charge of fire. And, and so, you know, we, we have those kind of crews for sure, but no, we don't, we don't have those, uh, those insurance crews. And, um, I don't know, it might be a good winter gig for some Canadians. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's something to think about. Um, so for a lot of folks out there, you know, a lot of folks down here in the United States uh, talking about these burns that escaped down in New Mexico and caused all sorts of havoc last year. And and they're still trying to sort all that out. They, they kind of experienced what Canada has seen for a long time, Montana, even up in Utah, Idaho, these places where uh, you, you go out and you burn. And, you know, if you don't check up on it, these things smolder. And even if it snows or you get a little bit of drizzle, these things, these things uh, still kind of smolder around. And and I was posting some footage from Alberta, I think it was like a week or two ago, where, yeah, there's, yeah. Snow, there's snow flurries coming down. I believe it was up in the White Court area and, and, and snow's still coming down and it's cold and people are bundled up, but these things still smolder. <laughs> yeah. And, and in Idaho with the, with the moose fire, like that, when the snow melted this year, there was still like little wispy stumps that were putting up some smoke. So we, oh, we, wow. ta- we talked about the, 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 the tactics of, Hey, we got to box these things in, or we're just going to let these things romp and burn and, and the snow will put them out. So moving into next year, is there already some, you know, 
predictive services up there that are saying, hey, we're going to have a back-to-back year? Or or what's the mindset up there for next year? Are, are, are folks hoping for you know, precipitation and snow to kind of, kind of make up for the deficit that happened this summer? Um, or are folks just preparing for another big year up there? Well, yeah, you know, I think, I think we are in, in, in the sense that, you know, we're going to have a lot of these overwintering fires to deal with. Right. And, yeah. um, you know, I do, you know, Statistically, those usually don't pop up around, you know, ice uh, populated areas or, uh, you know, areas with critical infrastructure because we, we, we dealt with those areas already. We dealt with those fires. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll definitely see, you know, remote fires, you know, pop up and, and, and then, you know, who knows, you know, you'll, you'll have to obviously do, do your intel there to see where they're going to go and look at fuels and train and the weather and all that. Um you know, as far as predictive services go, you know, they're up here. There's a few different things. Like, you know, the, a lot of the elders in the north like like to say, you know, big snow, big fire, right? If you, if you have a big snow winter, you're going to have a big fire season, you know, following. Um, which is kind of counterintuitive when you think about it. But, but I, I guess, you know, the, the thoughts there, and I'll, you know, it goes from, from you know, their, their eyewitness evidence there, but also the idea that, you know, if you get a whole bunch of precip in the winter, you're not going to get that in the summer. Um, you know, we've seen that off and on, but also, you know, if you're going to bed in the fall with, with, you know, high drought codes, um, then you're going to wake up in the spring with those same drought codes. Chances are right. Like, um, a lot of what determines our fire season is, is, is a snowpack. Yeah, for sure. And, but how it, how it melts in the spring. Right. And if you, if you have a long drawn out spring and nice wet spring, then, then, you know, your season's, you know, kind of parked for a while and, you know, it takes longer to dry out obviously. And, um, you know, that wasn't the case this spring and, you know, things dried out super quick. Um, you know, we had lightning earlier than, than normal for sure, which, you know, it started a bunch. We, you know, we had some human caused fires, obviously. Um, but yeah, you know, as far as preparing for next year, I mean, I know so many of us are, are still kind of, uh, processing what happened this summer, you know? Um, and, and, you know, and, you know, that conversation is going to be had for sure. Um, and, and, you know, yeah, it's, it's so hard to say like, you know, on, uh, yeah, I mean, weather patterns are, are, you know, unpredictable. Um, it's an El heavy El Nino kind of winter. Um, yeah, we'll see what happens really. I mean, it's, yeah, it's yeah. hard to say yeah, that well, way, Tim. Once spring comes, we'll, we'll have our answer. I think that's kind of the way it goes sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, can you kind of speak on, you know, at least in your experience or talking to folks up there who had the experience of working with, you know, these hotshot crews coming up in the, and the teams from the United States coming up, how that worked and, and did folks, you know, seem to think that it was, you know, logistically, you know, a positive and, and, you know, created a, a lot of good opportunities and, and solutions. And, you know, I'm of the thought that this is going to occur more. Like I, if the United States has another slow yeah, season, sure. I think folks are going back up North. And I've already said that publicly, like yeah. this is going to happen again. Do you see that same thing? And, and, and what have folks been saying about their experience working with these resources from the United States? Yeah, I, I do. I do think the same thing as, as well. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to see more hotshot crews up here and it's going to become more of a regular, you know, kind of occurrence. I, I think that, um, you know, and vice versa, you know, Canadians going down South and, and, um, yep. I, I think it has to be, you know, we, we talked about the retention and the recruitment issues and pay scale and stuff. And I, I, I feel like the workforce in general is just getting smaller. So we're going to need to be more adaptable and, and, and more, you know, mobile, um, you know, to help, help each other out. Um, I, I didn't have the opportunity to work with any hotshot crews this summer on, on any instance I was on. Um, you know, I have worked with hotshot crews, you know, been dip soups for them, uh, you know, down, down in the States, uh, in the past. And, you know, um, I know for our crews and, and for myself, it, it's always great, you know, to work with those, those crews. Right. And, and, um, they, they bring it, um, 
a different level of professionalism, uh, you know, and experience too, you know, and, and I, I know that, you know, a lot of crews experience and, and knowledge and professionalism, you know, comes from, you know, where they're from, right. And their fuel types and mm-hmm. their leadership and their terrain. And so it's, it's, it's always great to, you know, you know, work with them and, and, and to learn from them, you know, and, and, and I hope they learned, you know, from us and, and, um, I mean, in the end, we're, you know, we're all just wild man firefighters, you know, and we all are, are, are trying to do the same thing. And there's, there's, you know, lots of different ways to, to approach a fire. Right. And, and, um, and, and, you know, again, fuel type dependence, um, you know, like I say in the Boreal, it's, it, it's hard to get, you know, up close and, and comfy with that fire. Right. Cause it's, you know, it's, it's way different than say, you know, you know, a duck fir, ponderosa pine kind of grassland kind of situation, you know, or, a, or, you know, a fire in the great basin, you know, through, you know, desert fuels or whatever, but, um, yeah, like you were saying, yeah, the, no, the boreal, it's on or off and that black spruce is, is gasoline. So once the on switch is on, it's going. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you, you know, you gotta, when you go indirect, you gotta go way indirect and, and, um, you know, I don't, and maybe, you know, that was, might've been confusing for, for some of the crews that came up, like, you know, wondering what the heck we're doing and, and, you know, why such a big box and stuff like that, you know, but I mean, you saw an NWT, right. You know, some of those fires later in the summer, like, you know, 40 kilometer runs. I don't know what's that, you know, in miles, that's like, you know, 60 plus miles it's, you know, it's, overnight, right. Yeah, insanity. Um, yeah, you know, so you, you got to go big box for sure, and um, you know, use lots of air ignition. You know, that's kind of like one of our, you know, you know, tools of choice um, in in those situations on those larger fires, and uh, when you're lacking resources, right? Um, but yeah, you know, I, I talked to some of our officers. They were in Quebec with some of the hotshot crews and down in Alberta, and. Um, yeah, no, it, it it was great, and and uh, you know I think they I think they had a lot of fun. I, I you know I hope the I hope the crews did as well. You know because it it doesn't all have to be you know just like digging line and drudgery, right? Yeah. But um, yeah, and, and you know we've had a few we've had a few slow summers here where we've we've you know consciously pumped crews down south because we we see when they you know when they there there's uh, I think 2015. Um, some of our crews did like triple, tripled rolls down there in Idaho. Like they, they basically like, you know, just disappeared for like two and a half months down there or something. And, um, they came back, changed firefighters, man. They were, they were, you know, pretty dialed. They were pretty pro. Their lingo had changed a little bit, but that was all right. Um, you know, so I know our crews like speak highly of, of any of the hotshots they worked with, they, they really enjoyed, uh, seeing how they operate as a unit. And, um, you know, we do, we don't have hotshot crews in Canada, but we do have, you know, British Columbia and Alberta, and, uh, you know, have what they call unit crews, right. They're, they're 20 packs as well. And those crews are pretty hard and, and they're, they're pretty dialed as well. And, um, I'm always impressed that, like, you know, we don't, you know, I'm just always impressed, like how much, work you know 20 people can do when they're all kind of focused on the same objective and they have the same goal and um you know and they're trying to cover some ground and get around something it's always super impressive man and like for folks who don't get to see that or witness that it's like it'd be pretty surprising i think for the average person you know well as as winter takes place and we start looking forward to next year is 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 there anything else you want to you want to throw out there or, or mention or any sort of closing comments for, for the public out there that's that's wondering, hey, what's going on up in Canada? Why was it so smoky down here? Just just anything else you want to add to the conversation here? Yeah, not, you know, I mean, I guess, like, it's, it's going to happen again, right? It's, yeah. We're going to probably send you lots of smoke next summer or the next few summers and and vice versa and, and um you know, I just, I just hope that, uh, you know, moving forward, you know, for more for the resources that, you know, come up here that, you know, we could, we could get coordinated and, and, uh, you know, get some common understanding, you know, um, 
kind of nailed down and, and some like, you know, uh, really good preparation pieces for the crews, you know, so they understand fully what they're getting into. And, um, you know, I've always thought it'd be a really good idea to do like a bit of a glossary, you know, a Canadian American glossary of firefighting terms, you know, that'd be but, awesome. Um, yeah, I don't know. You, you guys don't have cat guards down there, right? Like you have dozer lines, right? That's right. Yeah. 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 Or, or you know, jewelry. I don't know. Do you refer to your fitting as jewelry? You know, no, like, we do not. Fittings. Um, we call them fittings. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so there's, there's lots of different stuff that way. And I, I think that'd be fun to do. And, and, and it would, uh, it, it would really help, you know, a lot of, a lot of guys, a lot of folks on the ground. Right. And, and uh, it make operations smoother and, you know, thankfully we all use ICS, so so we're all good that way. Um, Man, I think that's a great know, idea. Yeah, firefighting terms glossary for folks going north or coming south. Yeah, man, for sure. You know, um, I know I was down in Washington, I was like '06 or whatever, and on the Spur Peak fires at the time, uh, and uh, you know there was a guy from Oklahoma there. You know, there's a there's a Kiwi Div soup. There was me, and uh, you know there was an East Coaster. A Canadian East Coaster, and we were all speaking the same language. We were all talking the same stuff, but we couldn't understand a word we were saying. You know, A, because of the accents, and B, because we all had different terminology for what we were referring to. And Yeah. Uh, it, it was pretty entertaining, actually. But, um, you know, that, that'd be a – I think that would help a lot. And, um, you know, hopefully – I mean, it's always challenging when, when, you know, fires are flapping and, and, and agencies are scrambling for resources, but hopefully everybody had good in briefings. Um, you know, hopefully they had a good understanding of, you know, what they're up against and, and what their, you know, goals and objectives were. And, um, I really hope they had good comms, um, you know, and that they stayed safe and, and understood, uh, you know, the, what they needed to do to stay safe out there. And, and I think that we all know, you know, when things are flapping like that, you got to expect a bit of a gong show, you know, to start. Right. And, yeah, and it's that whole, yeah, it's that whole, re- you know, response kind of, you know, uh, pendulum or arc, you know, that, that, that you got to have the patience to, to let that get into place and, and to let your response kind of normalize, you know, and, um, you know, a lot of people could, could get kind of like, you know, buggy, during those first few days because they want to get stuff done and they want to, you know, hammer it. But it's always important to, you know, take your time and, and, uh, you know, let things fall into place and normalize for you and, and move on from there. And, um, you know, and I guess I kind of want to echo, you know, Kelly Martin's words, you know, just like how much I appreciate and respect all the, you know, the fire line leadership out there, the, uh, the leadership in all the offices and, and the different fire management regions, you know, across North America and, and as well as, you know, the, the crews and, and, and the soups and the, and the crew leaders and whether you're a hotshot or, you know, jumper or hell attack, or, you know, hand crew, engine crew, whatever, right. Like we're all, we're all working towards the same goal. And, and I, you know, I, I know what it means to dedicate a life to this job and, and I, I highly recommend it. And, uh, and I highly, you know, really appreciate anybody who's, who's doing it, whether, whether it, you know, they turned into a lifer or not, you know, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's great to see. And, and yeah, we really appreciate the help you guys sent this summer for sure. And I know folks were, were happy to come up and, and like you were saying, there's hotshot crews that did three roles, maybe even four. One of the crews did four roles up there and they, they spent a lot of time up there and, and, you know, with how slow it was down here, I know they were all about it. And I was getting constant That's messages awesome. of, of, have you heard if they're sending people from this region or are we going or when, when's our turn? And and so people were, were yeah, chomping yeah. at the bit to go up there. And I know folks, folks did enjoy it. And to your point of, you know, understanding that these operations take time to develop and, and set these plans and get the pieces in motion. And, and I think the public doesn't fully understand that, but folks who live in these wildfire you know, environments are slowly starting to come around and, and say, yeah, you know, it's, it's not a, yeah. it's not a, you know, once this truck show up where we're a hundred percent engaged and things are happening, it, it, it takes time to evolve. And, yeah. and, and that's just a good thing for folks, folks to understand. And it may cause some of that confusion for folks in those communities who are like, 
all these firefighters are here, but the, like the fire's still going. What's going on? And 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 to your point, it, it yeah, t- it you know, takes yeah. Time. Why are they all standing around the tailgate, right? Exactly. Um, but you know, these things take yeah. time, and and it's a big machine, as we all know, and and it takes time for these things to get in place. Yeah. But the good thing about ICS and and everybody get, being dialed on the same page is once that machine is moving, a lot of stuff can get done. And a lot of things can happen and things can progress very quickly. But once we reach that point, um, one of the, oh, absolutely, man. And yeah, no, no, I just, just agreeing with you hundred percent there. Like, yeah, good stuff happens when, when, when we're all kind of organized and coordinated and, you know, that's why we're out there, right. We're, we're saving communities. We're, we're saving homes and, we're saving infrastructure. Right. So absolutely. Hey, one question that kind of came yeah. to mind here at the end, uh, if you got a couple yeah. more seconds in down in the United States, Absolutely. yeah, down in the United States, there's this giant push for technology and, and autonomous technology and use of drones and things like that. Where is Canada in that push? Are you seeing private industry and, and, and contractors move in and say, Hey, this is the way we have to go. We need this technology. Are you guys already utilizing some of it? What does that look like up in Canada right now? Yeah, I think I think it's on a similar arc, you know. Um we we do have a number of, of uh you know private companies, contractors that uh provide drone services and, and um you know, kind of mapping intel and, and, and whatnot and um yeah there there there's a push for sure and, and uh you know there's there's a there's a national kind of um initiative right now like to you know get some like just dedicated uh wildfire satellites that's coming okay. um yep but uh but yeah no we're 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 definitely you know seeing that technology and, and you know i think like what you what you see happen in the wildfire world world in, in america we're usually you know not that far behind you know because um you know we, we keep a close eye on what's going on down there because again we got we could learn a lot from you and um, so yeah, no, I, I, we're definitely seeing an uptick in that and, and, um, you know, the technology, uh, you know, let, let's, that's great, man. Let's, let's ha- have at her, you know, but, you know, let's not forget, you know, what puts out fires and, and, um, you know, what addresses fires and, and, you know, it, it takes that, it, that human element, obviously that boots on the ground and, uh, you know, those people, you know, actual physical people flying stuff around and, um, you know, that, that's really important not to forget about that and, and, uh, not get kind of get like, uh, you know, too enamored or sidetracked by a lot of, you know, the tech that's coming around, but, but by all means, man, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's great stuff too, you know, so it, 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 if it can help us and make us safer and make us more effective and efficient, by all means, bring it on, you know? Totally agree. And, and, and again, I think that's something that kind of gets lost in, in the, in people who are getting enamored and, and, and really focused on the shiny new objects that are coming in. And, and as a wildland firefighter, it's like, yeah, let me play with that. Let me see what it does. Let's see how we can add it into our program and it can, can help us. Yeah. But at the same time, yeah, for, yeah. for the folks who aren't boots on the ground and, and maybe are in charge of funding programs and, and what's coming out next and what we're going to allocate things to, it's important to remember that you do need people like you need folks on the ground. You need human Intel, you need pilots, you need people, you know, operationally and logistically, you know, making these decisions, but by all means, yes, if there's new technology and it works, you know, we'll see where this piece can fit in the puzzle. Just, just don't get lost in the smoke, you know, of these fancy new shiny things. And these are going to solve all of our problems. It might make our problems easier to solve, um, but by no means are they, it's going to be an overnight problem solver. So I agree. It's, it's, no. Hey, we can implement yeah. these things. Let's do it. But let's also remember that, that, you know, we have ICS and these things set up the re- the way we do, because these are complex problems that, that humans need to be a part of solving. Yeah, absolutely. Man. Absolutely. Well said. Well, hey, man, I appreciate the time and, and, and you taking the time out of your day to come on and, and talk about this stuff. There's, a lot of folks down in the United States who don't follow Canadian news, but as soon as the skies get smoky, they start thinking to themselves, you know, what the hell's going on up there? So, so I appreciate yeah, you taking yeah. the time coming on and, and kind of, uh, you know, laying it out there for folks and, and 
you know, like we said, we'll see what spring brings and, and maybe it'll be slower up there. And, a, you know, people are predicting a busy season down here. So maybe we'll be asking for help for you folks to start coming south. Yeah, right on. Yeah, you, you don't, I don't want to see you have a summer like ours, but, uh, you know, we, we always, like I said, we love coming down there. Um, you know, some of the international agreements we have, the Northwest Compact is, is a great one. It's really strong, you know, really good people involved in it. Um, and, you know, it's, it, nobody's turning down an assignment to the lower 48 there, that's for sure. So, um, yeah, hopefully we'll see you down there, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, man. Okay. Uh. Uh. Uh.